Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today that I'm excited for. Uh, we've got Bob McLaughlin on the call today. He's the head coach at Coker University. It's an NCAA Division II school in Hartsville, South Carolina. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Coach McLaughlin before we get into questions with him. He's a native of Schenectady, New York. He played collegiately, started his playing career at Hudson Valley Community College, a junior college in New York. Uh, he then moved on to play at Alderson Broadus, which is a Division II school in West Virginia. He graduated in 2013 with a degree in sport management. Uh, 2013, the, the summer of 2013 after he graduated, he played one year of independent ball and then uh, got into his coaching career. The spring of 2014, he was a volunteer coach at Alderson Broadus, his alma mater. Then in the springs of 2015 and 2016, he was an assistant coach at Adrian College, an NCAA Division III school in Adrian, Michigan. Then he was hired at Coker, where he is right now. He spent the springs of 2017 through 19 as an assistant coach. During that time, he also served as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, he got his master's degree while at Coker in college athletic administration. Then in November 2019, he was named the interim head coach at Coker College, which has or Coker University, which has since been uh, they have since dropped the interim head interim. Uh, tag. He's now uh, just the head coach at Coker. In 2020, the season was obviously cut short, uh, but academically, his guys were able to finish the year. And this is some unbelievable numbers academically. And otherwise, he had 23 players named to the conference conference's commissioner's honor roll. Uh, finished with a team GPA of 3.48. The team also ranked third in all of NCAA Division II programs in community service hours. A couple things that just off the field things that are interesting that we'll probably get into in this podcast. Uh, coach McLaughlin, really appreciate you spending some time on the podcast with us today. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it and uh, love talking baseball, especially during these tough times. So. Yeah, anything you can do to... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Just to kind of get your hands or your head around some baseball at this time is good for a lot of people, and hopefully these podcasts are serving uh, that purpose as well for, for people who aren't quite getting their fix of baseball. Um, I'd like to start with something usually from the from the bio that stands out. And, uh, you know, for you, I, I kind of would like to start with uh, what we talked about at the end there or, or just sort of the end of your bio, things that Coker student-athletes, Coker baseball players are asked to do uh, off the field or expected to do off the field, and I'm, you know, a 3.48 GPA, you know, for one student is is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, in this case, a team 3.48 GPA is, is kind of nuts. How'd you end up with with that uh, at Coker? Why why is that? Uh, I mean, do you guys? You've been there the last handful of years. I'm sure a lot of these recruits that are on the team right now are guys that you've recruited. Uh, is that something that you seek out in the recruiting process, or is that just something that you really uh, kind of harp on guys about when they're on campus, the importance of their academics. Just how, how is it that you guys ended up with such a high GPA as a team? Yeah, I would say that's probably been the highest GPA that we've had as a team since I've been here. Um, you know, it's always good to, to recruit high academic kids. That, you know, definitely helps with um, throughout the recruiting process and scholarship-wise what we can do for them. Um, as a school, but at the same time, you know, we harp on um, study table hours throughout the fall and the spring, obviously this year being a little bit different, um, you know, with them going on uh, to online classes in the spring, but definitely proud of the guys and how they do in the classroom and within the community. Um, you know, it's just the thing is staying on the guys. We're, we're a smaller school and, you know, whenever the guys need help, it's pretty easy to get them help within the library and, you know, we tech, I don't really do have many rules that we, um, you know, stand by as a team. We just more or less have standards. And, you know, one of our standards is that you don't miss a class unless you're severely ill or have a really, you know, bad migraine or something like that. Um, you know, I try to, to get into the guys that at least go to class, show up to class, be there. Um, and that helps throughout, you know, the process and obviously helps throughout, you know, life um, after school, too. So. Um, can can you talk a little bit about you know the grades 
coming out of high school, uh, GPA and test scores, and how that correlates into scholarship dollars. You kind of mentioned that, and I know that, that a lot of schools, uh, you know, some schools will allow you to use athletic and academic aid together, some won't, but can you kind of talk about at Coker just how the scholarship system works and what you're able to do with guys who have, you know, good grades, so why, why that's sort of a target for you for those reasons? Yep, so, um, you know, guys with good grades, our, our academic packages have a range um, at Coker from ten to $15,000. Obviously, you know, your high-end student, you know, say 4028 ACT is looking more in that $15,000 range. Then probably your average student that's a 3020 ACT is probably looking in that 10 range. And now, at the same time, it's a sliding scale. So if the guy, you know, gets a 20 at first and, you know, he, he gets a little bit better grades, they go off with GPA and test scores. Um, with that, also in South Carolina, we do have some um, high school scholarship dollars, dollars that the guys will fall into, and that as well will be added on top of their academic scholarship that they get here at Coker. And then also we're able to add on to uh, with athletic money too. So, you know, our, our guys do a really good job of, uh, you know, getting a lot of scholarship dollars up, up until, um, you know, they get to school and stuff like that. So that helps out a lot. Um, and you know, for us being a smaller school, and when the guys have good academic money, then you know it's, it's very easy to put on um, athletic scholarship as well. So, and that just creates an overall package. Your, I mean, your your goal there is just to try to make it affordable for families to come there. Yep, without a doubt. There's also some kind of institutional money and, and some other things that um, Coker does as well to make it um, as affordable as possible for the guys. Once they're on campus just to kind of educate people that are listening to this, once they're on campus, what uh, what standards do they need to maintain to keep any academic scholarship that they have? Well, they need to keep the same GPA they had in high school. They need to keep that throughout the year in order to get it, you know, the following year. Um, some things that we do, obviously, outside of study tables is I have um, academic teams, um, which essentially is – it's usually a junior or senior. Um, we'll just say sports management is one of our, I would say, most popular majors here. So it'd be a junior or senior that's a sports management major. Um, and he'd be kind of the, the head honcho of that group. Um, and I kind of filter in, you know, sophomores, juniors, freshmen under that. Um, and those guys are, are to meet once a week, um, whether it be in a library, cafeteria, um, at the field, whichever. Um, so they're supposed to meet once a week and just kind of talk academics. Um, study, obviously, is the main goal, but also it just also gives the guys an opportunity to get together um, outside of practice time. It gives the you know the senior or junior who's the head of that group a chance to kind of have a little bit of authority and get the guys together. And then it also gives those guys a chance to you know talk to the younger guys about who to take, you know what teachers uh, to kind of stay away from. Um, what what classes are good because um, most of the time they take you know a lot of the same teachers a lot of the same classes um, and then so they're supposed to meet once a week usually on Saturday or Sunday and then they take a selfie and they send it to me just so I know that they're getting together. <laughs> I just think sorry just laughing at the just how far we've come technologically. <laughs> I know right so. Um, what about study tables? You mentioned study tables, and I don't know that everyone's familiar with what those are. Can you kind of talk about what you guys do there as a team? Yep, study tables are – so the way I do study tables, every freshman that comes into our program is on study tables right out the gate. Um, and what I kind of do is I have them prove to me that they don't need them anymore. Um, so what that means is usually after their freshman year, if they have a GPA above a 3-2, I'll allow them to – you know, have that sophomore uh, fall be off the study tables, and um, then they can, if they have to bring them back in and, and get them back on study tables. But most of the time, the guys actually enjoy study tables because they kind of they kind of know that that's a specific time for them to study. Um, what it will be is we kind of meet everyone that has study tables will meet in the uh, library twice a week, usually on Tuesday and Thursday after practice and after dinner, so around seven o'clock and. Um, I'll have one of my assistants check on the guys and make sure um, no phones are out, stuff like that, and uh, just make sure the guys are getting ready to study. Now, you know, I'll also allow them to count study tables as well. If, if they're going to the tutoring center or something like that, I'll allow them to count that towards their study, able study table hours for that week. It will just depend on if the guys needed tutoring. Um, 
really for me, I, I kind of use the tutoring as like just a, a buddy system. If, if, a, if a guy's struggling, I want them to come in and talk to me um, about what they're struggling with. And then, you know, we can seek to get them the right help that they need um, in order to, you know, pass that class or uh, meet the requirements that we're looking for. As far as uh, meeting with players and, and just kind of talking with them, understanding what they're going through, uh, that's, in my opinion, that's changed over, I guess, from, I'm a little bit older than you, but from when, when we, I don't know, when I was going to college and in high school, it wasn't, I don't feel like there were as many coaches who kind of saw the value in, you know, developing relationships with players and letting players feel comfortable coming to them and talking about their struggles and things of that nature. Um, you know, the guy that I played for, I didn't necessarily have that comfort comfort level with. Um, is that something that you talk about during the recruiting process? Just kind of curious about that. Is just, uh, you know, how important is that in your in your program in general? And is that something that you that you talk about when you're bringing recruits on campus? Like, hey, we're we're going to take, you know. You're going to be accountable for yourself, but you're going to have coaches that are going to be, you know, personally uh, kind of watching out for you and making sure you're getting stuff done and and uh, and and you know paying attention to your academics, making sure you're 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 being taken care of and you have all the resources you need. I mean, is that is that are those things that you talk about in the recruiting process to kids? Absolutely. Um, I mean, relationships to me, especially nowadays, are huge, especially with everything going on. You know, kids can get caught up in social media and, and stuff like that, but. You know, I'm from New York originally, so when I first got down to South Carolina, I had to, you know, kind of figure out what kind of the culture style was of a lot of the kids that were down here. Um, but I feel like, what, you know, when you have relationships with kids, then they're going to go to bat for you at the same time, you know. And um, when you expect something out of them, they're they're not going to want to let you down. Um, my, my door is always open. I tell the guys that. Um, I'll tell the recruits that as well. I even want, you know, I, I say I love you to every guy that comes, you know, that leaves my office and I would say probably at the, at the start you know guys are very shaken and they're like should I say I love you back I don't know if I can do this. And then, you know later on they're like yeah I love you too coach you know and at, at the end of the day when you have a group of guys that have your back and they know that you you know um, that you have theirs um, they're going to go to bat for you on the field off the field whatever you need them to do um, they're going to you know respect you that much more I think and you know kids nowadays they you know, you, sometimes you don't know what's going on in their heads. You know, it could be, you know, at-home struggles. It could be stuff that their parents are saying. It could be on-the-field stuff, too, that they're struggling with, whereas there may be a guy that was in a, a smaller high school and, you know, they were the top dog, and then they get here and they're not so much the top dog anymore. And so they got to kind of come to the realization of kind of what do I have to do to, to gain that, you know, stature back, I guess you could say. And um, so a lot of guys, you know, struggle with that at, at first. And, um you know, I, I just always try to be there for the guys. I always want to be there for the guys. And, you know, even throughout this, you know, quarantine and, and COVID-19 process, I've, I've made sure that, you know, I kind of read something. Monty Lee was, like, calling all of his football guys. And I was like, hey, well, I mean, he's got 90 guys. Why can't I call every guy? Um, and so whether it was even a, either a phone call or a text message, it was something that, you know, I was just checking on them, you know, once a week. And we kind of split it up between my staff. And we would just check on them once a week, see how they're doing. You know, how's everything going? I mean, obviously, they were struggling, right? Because, you know, gyms were closed, fields were closed. You know, they went from seeing each other every day to not seeing each other every day. Um, you know, I could start something silly as like a, a post-workout selfie that they would throw in the group chat. Just, you know, something that's, you know, stupid, I would say. But, you know, the guys really enjoyed that because, they would, you know, at least they would get a chance to see each other. Now, not everyone did, but the guys that did, you know, they, got, they enjoyed it. Um, so I did, you know, little things like that just to keep them in touch. Um, and I think the relationship with your players goes way far uh, beyond, you know, wins and losses um, as a program. What does that look like in the spring for you when certain guys are are not playing? Does it ever – I'm going to relate this to – so after I left college baseball, I coached high school for one year as people that have listened to these podcasts. If you listen enough from you, I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, but I coached high school ball only for one spring, for two falls in the spring. Um, 
and I had people there, and I, and this was not this was a new problem to me in high school. But I just want to see if you ever experienced anything like this. When we got to the spring and certain kids weren't playing, I would get messages more or less from parents, but kind of like we did all these things for the program, and we've and we've given this, we've given that, and now you don't even give you know, so-and-so a chance, not even giving him a chance to play, not even giving him a chance to, to prove himself. Now, obviously, in college, hopefully not dealing with parents as much, uh, and you have the guys that are that are in practice every day, but but does, do guys ever kind of come back and and feel a little bit like, um, I don't know, like, hey, Coach, we have this great relationship, and, like, now you're just, you're kind of tossing me to the side in the spring and, and not even really giving me a shot. Does that ever happen to you in the spring, just as you because you developed a close relationship do you have guys that almost feel like betrayed i know maybe it's not a great word to use but but have that feeling in the spring because now all of a sudden like hey you're great friends in the fall everybody plays because you're inner squatting and and in the offseason everybody gets your attention but in the spring only x number of guys are getting love because not everybody can play yeah I, I would say it's it's kind of a mixture across across the board i think it also depends on what kind of relationship you have with each player um whether they feel comfortable enough to come talk to you about playing time or not. Um, but, I mean, for us, you know, m- the way I look at it is everything that you, you know, get in the spring, you earn in the fall. Um, and what I mean by that is the opportunities that you get in the fall, you know, kind of portray the opportunities that you're going to get in the spring. Um, you know, obviously I know guys are going to fail. All right? I mean, baseball is a game of failure, but it's a – it's a try. It's a thing of you know putting the guys in certain situations and what do they do with that opportunity? Um, for us, we're we're lucky enough. You know, once we get back here, uh, January tenth, we you know we'll practice for a week and then we we play two junior colleges before we open up um, with the season February first. So that you know gives me a good opportunity to put guys in in certain situations, seeing other college players and seeing how they handle it. But at the same time is, you know, if you're not playing that day, what what type of dugout guy are you? Are you, you know, are you the one that sits at the end of the bench and is just kind of pouting all day? Or are you the guy that's, you know, picking each other up? Um, I, I think some players kind of don't think we see everything where when you become a head coach or assistant coach, like you realize a lot of stuff about a lot of people. Um, and, you know, to me, like if there's a guy that, he might be the same, you know, talent-wise as the guy that's on the end of the bench, uh, but this guy's picking him up. I'm probably going to give the guy, you know, picking the guys up uh, more of an opportunity than the other guy, if that makes sense. Um, but I think it just depends on what relationship you have with the kid. Obviously, there's always going to be guys that are complaining about playing time, without a doubt. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. But my thing is, well, if you're complaining about it, then what are you going to do, you know, uh, to get past that, what are you? Are you going to put extra work in at the cage? Are you going to put in extra work at the field? Are you that guy that shows up an hour before practice and gets, you know, forty-five minutes of T-work in? Are you a guy that shows up for the field at eight a.m. And, and hits in the cage and before your classes or something like that? Um, you know, we see everything. You know, we're here all the time. Um, so I think it's just a matter of what players want to put into it. And you know, you're kind of at that day and age now where stuff is kind of handed to guys and. My thing is, is you earn you earn what you get. You know, whatever you put into it. I was a player. I wasn't the best player in the country, but you know, I worked for what I was able to do. You know, and and those are the type of guys that I want to recruit to. Guys that want to work hard, that want to be at the field every day, um, and bring the energy and want to compete. You know, those are kind of three things that I really look for in the recruiting process as well. Yeah, it's inter- it's interesting to see what happens with guys when they feel like they've put in a lot of work. Uh, and they and then they the spring comes and they and they're not getting many opportunities and they and they realize that they're not, uh, you know I think when guys realize that there's people ahead of them, like what what do they do at that point? Do they try to try to talk to you and say hey what like do, can I have a role anywhere? Am I, am I close to any kind of a role? Like can I can I work my way into a pinch hitting role? Can I work my way into a pinch running role? There was one player that comes to mind uh, when I coached at Moorhead State who was a football player and he came out. He tried out for baseball. We didn't recruit him at all. Didn't know who he was, and he just uh, he started playing with us. And his first year, um, you know, he didn't really have much expectation. But he came back his second year, which was his senior year of of, uh, of college, and he was a slot receiver and, and was could really run. And he was a pretty good outfielder, but he, he didn't really hit. He didn't really hit enough to play. But he could have been he could have been in like an every game type of pinch runner, which I realize is not real exciting for people, but. Like I kind of had a conversation with him at some point and said, like, hey, you have a chance to score, like, the tying or winning run 
or like a you know a a, 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 just a, a big run in the game. A lot, a lot throughout the season. Like we're gonna play a lot of close games, and you have a chance to. We have a, a lot of guys that don't run real well. You've got a chance to have some to be on the guy on the bases in really big situations, <clears throat> but you're not necessarily working that hard at it. And and to do that, like you also have to then play defense. But you're not like you're kind of kind of slacking off on defense a little bit instead of trying to make yourself like a really good outfielder. You're not you're not putting in that much effort out there like during BP during drills and and therefore like you're you're kind of like sapping your own potential for playing time. So it's interesting to see what happens with guys when they're, they kind of realize what their role is. The other thing is, too, like guys can say they work hard, right? You and I can say we work hard, but, but what are you getting out of it, right? So if, this guy could be working really hard in the weight room, but, you know, is it, gonna, is it turning over to the field? Like they, a lot of kids nowadays, I feel like they like, well, I'm working hard, so why am I not in, why am I not in the game? Like, are you doing the right work? Are you working on the right things? You know, um, I think that's a big thing. You know, I, I've had some guys come up to me like, Coach, what, what can I do to get in? And it's like, you got to make the most of your opportunities, but you also have to work hard at the things that you're not very good at in order to get those opportunities. You know, or are you a guy that struggles with the breaking ball? Well, if so, then get in the cage and, and turn the machine on and, and just hit breaking balls. Um, I think it's a matter of honing in on the right work um, in order for what goal you're trying to reach um, is a big part of it, too. Do you guys do any sort of uh, things with the team where you, you have guys self-evaluate or you have guys peer-evaluate, maybe after the fall, kind of going into the spring? Um, do you do anything like that with your team? Most of the time I usually just ask the guys, um, you know, how they did in the fall, and I'll have a meeting with them, you know, after – um, all fall balls that's said and done, and you know I have all their stats and everything. I keep all the stats for the fall, um, and you know, and I'll kind of tell them how they are, and then I'll also ask them at that time to kind of ask who they think the leaders are. Um, who would you pick? You know, say top three guys or the leaders of the program, which I've actually gone away from. I'm going to try and do something new this year um, called the Leadership Council. I got this from one of my buddies up in Ohio. Um, and basically, essentially, it's two guys per each class that the guys will vote on after the first two weeks of practice. And with that, it will be a, a council that, you know, everybody else on our team can go to with, you know, any problems, good, bad, ugly, um, how the team's feeling, how the practice going, anything going on. And then I'll meet with that council uh, bi-weekly as well. And we'll just kind of talk about, you know, what they're hearing and, you know, what I can kind of get across to them and what to say to those guys and, just so we're all on the same page. Um, but I've, I've never really, I don't try and do too much self-evaluation for the guys just because you can get it, it can get a little sticky sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> what about, like, individual goals? Do you, do you guys talk about goals as teams? I'm, actually, I'm interested to hear this because I think there's a lot of different takes on goals, and if, I think that teams that don't do it, you know, that's, that's intentional, and teams that do do it, obviously that's intentional. Kind of curious as to what your take is on you know personal goals team goals and whether that's and just i guess sort of how you uh well just what your thought process is on that yep yeah so we we definitely talk about team goals um when i first got to coker you know we i'll be honest we weren't very good um there's definitely been success here they went to the world series in 2013 um but it's just a matter of getting the right guys into the program and working towards that common goal so you know for me uh Obviously, everybody wants to win a conference championship, but I also believe that there are certain steps um, in order to get to that goal, right? So I try to have, you know, before the spring opens up, I try to have our goals kind of already set um, to where, you know, and it's almost smart goals, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're small but attainable. Um, and just to give them kind of hope, this, you know, this past spring, I, the goals kind of went away, um, not really went away, but there were still, you know, goals we were achieving, but I started going week by week. Um, and it, uh, I would say, all right, we got, you know, four games this week. What do we want to do? You know, and say maybe we were lost on Tuesday. It's like, all right, well, we still got three to play. So where are we, are we going to finish 500? Are we going to, you know, finish below 500? Or are we going to finish, you know, winning above 500? Um, and so I started going a little bit smaller that way because they had a goal of, you know, winning, say, 30 games, which is not easy to do. And I said, all right, well, how are you going to get there? You know, and they're saying, well, uh, don't get swept in a conference series. Okay, that's great. But 
again, there, there's steps to that goal, right? There's certain things that have to take place in order to accomplish that goal. Um, so it's just almost trying to, to have the guys realize the, the smaller goal to reach the bigger goal, if that makes sense. It does. How do you feel about individual goals and like number type of goals? Like I want to hit, I want to hit 300. I want to have, you know, I want to win. I want to win this many games in the mound. I want to have an ERA, uh, you know, below three. Are, are you in favor of those types of things, or do you think that those can end up uh, being counterproductive for guys? I think, I think if you're an individual and you have goals, like I think setting those goals for yourself are great. Um, do I necessarily think you need to tell a team what your goals are? Um, I don't think so, because um, at the end of the day, it's a team sport. You know, baseball, you know, there's nine guys playing. It's not just one guy's going to hit nine home runs, you know. So I think if you wanted to set a personal goal yourself and kind of have that um, in your mind of what you're looking to achieve, then by all means, have that goal. Um, and I, I sometimes in recent you know years, we've asked them what their goals are, but, you know, the goals are always astronomical. It's like, you know, I, I want an ERA of below one. Well, yeah, everybody wants an ERA of below one. You know, uh, I want to hit 330 with 10 jacks. Like, yeah, of course everyone wants that. But are they real attainable goals, right? Um, and that's what I try to, to preach to the guys is the goals have to be attainable. You know, um, you don't want to set some so high. And then, you know, mid-season you're pressing like, oh, I only have two jacks and my goal was 10. You know, and then you're pressing, you're pressing. Um, so try to... For me, it's just trying to set smaller goals to reach them. It's kind of just like the coaching world. I mean, when you get in, you know, when you get into it, you're an assistant coach, you're bottom of the barrel. You know, and yeah, you might be working hard, but are you going to be a, become a head coach next year? Probably not after your first year, you know. So, you know, for us, like even moving up the coaching ranks, like, yeah, your goal is obviously always to be that, you know, become a head coach, but there's certain steps and goals that you have to reach in order to, to achieve that. When you talk to players and the team as a whole um, about the smaller attainable goals, the sh- maybe the short, the shorter term goals that will ultimately help you to achieve the long term goals, can we break that down a little bit? Just to, you know, for people that listen to this that that maybe haven't heard a lot uh, about that that way of thinking about it or, or that way of setting goals. Or, or having like you know both the long term goal we want to win thirty games this season and we're going to be able you know to achieve that we've got to do this and this and this day to day. What are some some of the smaller steps that you got that your coaching staff talks about with your players? Uh, the small attainable things that will ultimately help you to get where you want. I mean, you know, if you have a bigger goal of winning say thirty games, you know, how are you going to do that, right? And I always ask them, how you okay? If we want to do that. How are we going to do that? And it's you know, like I said, you know, don't get swept on a conference weekend. Okay, yeah, that's great. But, again, how are we going to do that? So I, I try to preach win the week, right? Um, so, you know, obviously we play Saturday, Sunday, usually a midweek game. Uh, we'll play Fridays as well. But, you know, win the week. Um, and then let's see where we're at. Um, this year I started doing something of, you know, kind of talking about what our team batting average was after the first three weeks. And I would tell them, you know, before the game going in, what our team batting average was and what the opposing team batting average was. And I would say, guys, this is where we're at. You know, start believing that we can do this um, and, and, it, and reach that goal and win the week. Um, you know, when I got to Coker, the, the culture wasn't that great, I'll be honest with you. So we've, we've, had a, we've done a really good job of, of changing it to where we're at right now. Um, and it, it, it's, it's getting a lot better moving forward, um, which is, is good, really cool for me to see, uh, obviously, because I've been here, you know, throughout all of it. Um, and, and the guys are starting to understand, you know, those smaller goals and that we're able to reach those smaller goals. Um, but like I said, you, you have to start small before you aim big, if that makes sense. Um, I, I just really believe in that because our conference is really good. Our South Atlantic Conference down here is, is really good. And, you know, we have three to four teams in our conference every year that's going to go to a regional. Um, and so we're competing against those guys. So, you know, are we going to all of a sudden flip the, flip the switch and beat, you know, run the show this, you know, one season? It's a little tougher to do that uh, down here. So that's why it's almost, for me, is I try to explain to them you know, the smaller oriented goals to reach that bigger goal. Obviously, at the end of our day, uh, you know, conference championship is, is definitely, you know, our biggest goal, obviously. But how are you going to get there? 
Um, it's kind of what I try to preach to the guys. Yeah, the day-to-day stuff that guys uh, you, that you need to keep them focused on is hard to do at some times, and especially when uh, you know guys have their individual goals and they want to achieve certain things. Uh, I know that I've been in in situations where you know guys start to press, like you mentioned, they start to press partway through the year because they have these uh, individual goals and they started the year off pretty slow, and and now it's looking like you know you, you feel like you have to get three hits every day or. Uh, you have to go through a shutout today, uh, you know, seven shutout innings for you to kind of get closer to where your goal is. And that, you know, different coaches feel different ways about those things. So I'm just kind of curious to know, you know, where yeah. you stood on on the goals part of it. For sure. Um, sort of along the well, the, the day-to-day type of stuff. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what just day-to-day life is like as a Division II athlete? Again, people uh, that are listening to this, I'm sure that there are – High school players, high school coaches, parents of high school players. Um, you know, if we were to try to give an accurate picture of what college life is like, when a guy sets foot on campus, can you kind of talk about what a typical day involves and, and just, um, you know, what, what guys can expect once they get on a college campus? Because I'm sure what, what your guys' experience is pretty similar to what, what a lot of college athletes experience. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's getting used to time management, right? They don't have um, – you know, the support system that they do at home, um, but to take you through a day in the fall, um, you know, we start out with individual hours, so that's eight hours a week. Um, that NCAA gives us, and that will be split up between weightlifting um, and then uh, defensively, offensively, and pitching. Um, so say it's a position guy, our hitting days are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, they'll hit for, you know, 45 minutes that day, um, and then our defensive work is usually Tuesday, Thursday. We're also lifting on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, so that will be in the morning. And then their kind of defensive and base running sections will be uh, later in the afternoon, um, little smaller group settings. Um, and that will pretty much run us to the fall. Then, obviously, once we get into our fall practice, um, our, our window of fall practice that NCAA gives us, we'll get into, you know, a day in the life on a, say a Thursday or uh, we're getting ready for an inner squad. So, you know, again, you're lifting Thursday morning. And then once you're done with class, you're heading out to the field and getting ready for the inner squad. Um, then once you get to the spring, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty similar. It's just you're, now you're adding games. So, you know, if it's a Friday and we're playing at home, the guys are getting out of class at, you know, say 11 o'clock, getting to the field at 12 o'clock for BP. Um, and then we're, you know, taking I.O. at around 2 o'clock and the game's starting at 3. Um, and then obviously the next day we got two games and you're back at it. 9 o'clock again on Saturday and getting ready for BP, um, you know, IO, all that, and getting ready to roll for another two games. So um, hopefully that kind of, I know it's kind of quick and short-winded, but hopefully that kind of explains, you know, it's, it's just a matter of gaining your um, time management skills, you know, whether we're in individual hours, team practice. Um, usually we practice around 3, 3.30 every day, um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of get after it. I'm not really a big fan of staying out there for three hours. Um, I think as a coaching staff, we have, you know, certain goals that we want to accomplish throughout practice, you know, that specific day, and we'll talk about that as a group, you know, in the morning, and then, um, you know, in the afternoon, we'll go out and execute it. The time management part of it, I think, is probably the biggest shock to a lot of guys when they first get on campus because, you know, I, I think there are, it's a case of a lot of guys that they're – there's a lot more demanded of them in college, especially on the academic side. There's more reading, there's more studying, there's more homework. And then you have uh, all the stuff you're doing for your team as well. Um, for a freshman to figure that out, I think that's, that's when freshmen really take the next the jump. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's not necessarily that they, they become this, uh, they take a huge jump on the field. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times it's like they finally just sort of get things in order and feel like they are uh, they have a handle on things and they're not so much overwhelmed anymore. How long does that typically take your guys? Does that happen sometime in the fall for your guys, or does sometimes does it take a full year for them to really kind of get their feet under them? Uh, I think it, I think it depends on the kid and where they're from and their background. Um, you know, I have I'm from New York originally, so I like to try and get some guys from New York down here, but um, some kids from South Carolina, they might know some, some student athletes here already or other students, so that kind of helps with the acclimation of things. Um, but typically, you know, it usually takes two to three weeks, and then the guys are pretty much um, set on a schedule. I mean, 
for instance, my, you know, most of my team will get here this Friday, and uh, I won't, honestly, we can't do anything because of COVID, but we usually don't start practice till September 1st, so I give them about a week to kind of, you know, figure out where, you know, when they're going to eat, figure out when they're going to study, figure out what time their classes are, figure out where they have to go. Um, so I kind of give them a little, little bit of a week to kind of get everything together, and, and so they're all on the kind of starting to figure out the time management part. You mentioned that you like to get guys from New York, uh, you know, try to get some kids from the north to come down south. You've spent some time coaching at schools in the north, um, and for people that haven't been there, the facilities that you'll see at the Division Two level in the south uh, are, are really pretty impressive. Can you talk a little bit about that and just about what, what people can – like what, what a kid could expect. I'm from Pennsylvania. You're from New York. You know what? And, and the Division Two facilities up here, like, like the playing surfaces are fine for the most part, but I think that the facility itself, uh, I've been really impressed with some of the ones that I've seen in the South, especially some of the newer ones. Can you sort of talk about some of the facilities that you get into, like in your conference or other teams you'll play outside your conference just to give people an idea of what, uh, you know, what it's like? Because, and part of the reason to ask this, Coach McLaughlin, is because, you know, the stigma that I, I need to go Division One. Well, why do you need to go Division One? Well, I mean, let's just face it. If you're if you're not in a Power Five, it's not like you're gonna be people can watch you on TV every week, right? Um, but so I think part of the reason to go there is is you know to say I'm going Division One. But part of it is also well, the facilities are better, the amenities are better. But it's not always the case. And I just I'd like for you to have an opportunity to kind of talk about you know what facilities are like in the South at D two level. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, I kind of use this one example. I had a kid from New York come down my first year here. He's a junior now. And I kind of use this example to, uh, to some of the guys I bring down. Is he was a kid that spent, you know, say four months um, of the year outside playing baseball. And then he went, you know, came down here and he spent, you know, 12 months playing baseball. You know, and he was getting on the field. He was able to long toss. He wasn't in a you know, facility for eight months, you know, and I think that as a player, it allows you to develop a lot more. Um, you know, for instance, when myself and the, the head coach before me got down here, he said, Bob, where, where are we going to practice inside for the rains? And I'm like, oh, I don't think we need to practice inside. We're, we're in South Carolina. And, you know, we're both kind of stepped, took back and like, yeah, you're right. I don't think we have to practice, you know, inside. Uh, so that was kind of an adjustment for us. And, you know, for kids coming down, you know, up up north and down here, it's, I mean, it's eye-opening. I mean, some of the D2, um, you know, some of the D2 uh, facilities that we go to, they're stadiums down here, you know, uh, which is fun. And, you know, like if we go up and play Wingate University in our conference, they're, they have a, a deal with ESPN3. So if we're going up there to play, they, our, our game is streamed on ESPN3. So if we have guys from, you know, out of state, out of the area, their parents can, can log on and uh, watch the game. So that that allows us to do that as well. So, which is pretty cool. It's it's, it's uh, I think it takes a lot of people by uh, catches people off guard when they go visit a facility at a Southern Division two or even some other levels uh, in the South. Um, where you can play baseball year round and it just things are a little bit different down there. And that was, it was, it was amazing to me when I first got to Winthrop, like the facilities there were, you know, without question, the best I had ever, of course we, my college team traveled and played some really good teams in the South, but, um, but that was by far the best facility that I had been a part of. And it was, it was amazing just to show up there every day. You just felt a great oh, deal of gratitude for that. Winthrop is great. It has the biggest hitters eye in the country, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great facility. Great yeah. facility. Yeah. Really nice. And just, the Bermuda grass being down south is, is a lot different than just a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did your – when you first got into coaching, you, you were a good college player. You played independent ball for a year and then, and then got into coaching when you still thought there was a chance to play. Um, when, when you realized your playing career was over, then obviously you, you kind of flipped the switch to, to, you know, this coaching is what I want to do. How did your playing career – affect you as a young coach or, or sort of influence you as a young coach as far as uh, maybe maybe things you wanted to teach or how you wanted to interact with guys or uh, maybe th things you didn't want to do that another coach uh, you had, you know another coach had you do in the past or anyth anything like that how did your playing career influence you as a young coach I would 
would say, I mean, when I first got into coaching, I was trying to pretend like I was still a player. Um, and I think a lot of the guys that get into coaching do that. But it was almost trying to figure out how I was going to be different than the coach, than the coach next to me, you know. And um, for me, I've, I've always loved the recruiting aspect of it. I've always loved getting out on the road and watching games, even if it's, you know, four or five hours away. I got to wake up early and get to the game. Like, I always really enjoy going and watching that because, to me, you never know what you're going to find. And that's what kind of excites me about the recruiting side. Um, but as a, as a player, you know, I, you know, approach was a big thing for me, so I try to get that across to the guys. Um, you know, launch angle, which, you know, is in the game nowadays. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily say that I teach the launch angle. Um, because I, to me, as long as you keep your head inside the baseball, you have a good chance of hitting. Um, and uh, so, I mean, from a player to coach, it, it was more or less just trying to uh, get across what I, you know, get across to the players what I had come across as a player myself, and then try to implement that the best way I can um, to each guy. Um, you know, I was an infielder. I played third and first base in college, so... I kind of have a little bit of experience in that, you know, kind of how footwork around the bag and um, playing third base a little bit. So, uh, but my biggest thing was hitting. My, I was a hitter. That was kind of what I did, um, you know, and, and so I really try to focus on, you know, making the hitter the best guy he can be, whether that be approach, shortening things up, anything I can see in a swing um, to help a guy I'll do. If you don't mind getting into this, it's a bit of a controversial thing in social media. At this point, um, there's the there's the crowd that advocates that the swing is the thing. Without the perfect swing, you're not going to hit high level pitching, and and uh, especially as you move up levels, and 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 other other coaches feel differently. I know figured out well figured out baseball ran a poll recently to try to find you know what coaches thought was the most important thing to to being a really good hitter. Now for you as a as a former good hitter and a guy that, that coaches hitters and likes to coach hitters, um, how just I just wanna you know, an honest as honest of an answer as you can give, how important is it that someone has an ideal swing for your level, and let's just let's just you know before we even get into that, Division two pitching. I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Division two pitching. You guys see, you know, arms that are ninety plus on the weekend. You guys see, you're going to see draft picks throughout the year. It's not like you're seeing a, a bunch of low level arms like Division two baseball in, in your conference in South Carolina, especially is, and in a lot of other parts around the country too. Is it's great baseball. Um, right. How important is it for for guys at your level? to have the ideal mechanical swing? How much is that a part of being a good hitter for you? I mean, it's definitely important, um, without a doubt. And whether they're, you know, a long time guy or not, I, it doesn't really bother me, but they have to have an approach, I think. It's trying, the, the biggest thing you see with young guys coming up is, you know, that high school arm that was, you know, maybe 88 to 90, you know, they're not just throwing fastballs right down the middle anymore. They got two or three more pitches that they can use against you. Um, and I think just knowing yourself as a hitter, what what is gonna what pitches gonna make me successful? Um, how are they pitching me? What what part of the lineup am I am I hitting in? Am I hitting one? Am I hitting four? Um, I think that plays a big part in the adjustment period of trying to get guys to to be successful at our level. Um, and you're right. I mean, we'll see 90, you know, 90 plus arms on the weekends, um, and we'll see guys with good breaking balls. But again, how are you going to beat that guy? Um, are you a guy that sits on breaking balls? Are you a guy that you know hunts fastballs? That's great, but where? Are you just hunting a fastball anywhere? Or are you hunting it middle in, middle, you know, middle away? Um, where are you looking? You know, what's your optimal pitch that you're looking to attack? And I think that once you kind of get start having guys um, figure out their approach, they start becoming a lot more successful to me. So the, the approach to define that, you, you kind of gave some examples there, but how do, you, how do you truly define approach to someone who's not familiar with that term, maybe he's never had a coach, or maybe a coach will say, like, have an approach, but the coach doesn't really break it down for him. You know, for someone who, you know, feels like they have a good swing, but they're not having a ton of game success, and they're, they just heard what you just said, and, and something starts to click to them. What does it mean to have an approach? Like, how can a high school player, um, for example, 
develop an approach? Like when you're developing an approach, what are you actually doing? What What does that mean for a hitter to develop an yeah. approach? When you don't, when you're developing an approach, it's, it's almost developing what you're good at, right? So for me, when a, when a kid, when a guy threw me a middle middle end fastball, I wanted to attack at all times. But you know, for instance, an approach like oh oh, when I was playing. If they threw me a middle end fastball, I was attacking. If they threw me a middle way fastball, I wasn't. And, you know, at that point, then you kind of flip a coin whether the umpire is going to call it a strike or not. Um, and then obviously, you know, you got to battle up if it's a strike or a ball or whatever. Uh, but that 2-0-3-1 pitch, again, is, to me, is the same as the 0-0 pitch. Okay? I'm still looking fastball middle end. If I don't get it, then okay, I'm still ahead. Um, but... You know, another big thing with me for approach is I know a lot of guys talk to strike approach and, you know, spread out and with the feet and stuff like that. My, my biggest thing to my guys is just choke up. Now, a lot of guys, if you tell them that right out the gate, they'll be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but for, to me, it allows them to, to have the back control to recognize fastball or recognize breaking ball and still be able to keep your hands back and drive it to the, to the opposite side. Um, so approach is just trying to find what you're good at, um, and then when you're hitting, what you want to look for. Um, that, that's kind of the and, and for me, like I hit four in, in college, so you know I was most of the time getting a lot of breaking balls, and I would you know maybe get one mistake per at bat, and it would, to me it would, to be successful in that situation is just don't miss the mistake. But be in the at bat long enough to get that mistake. Um, that would that would I guess that would quantify my approach. So it's really just a lot about figuring out how you can be successful, either like as an individual. What yep. pitches? What pitches do I? Um, have the most success with, but also situationally things can change. But basically, it's going to the plate with a plan as opposed to just Correct. going up there and, and, and hacking or finding yourself down 0-2 really quick and then you get a breaking ball in, in the dirt, you swing at it right. next thing, like you, then you go back to the dugout and say, like, what just happened right there? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, and, and trying to get the guys to think about an approach, you know. Um, it's not just going up there and swinging. Everybody can do that. Um, but what pitches am I most successful with and what pitches are, am I going to hunt? Obviously, if you're down 0-2, well, you better battle up and choke up and do what you can. But, um, you know, for me, approach is a very, I, I think, one of the more important things. Does being ready to hunt the pitch, does that mean sitting on a pitch? Is that, does that mean, or, or guessing a pitch? Or does that mean anticipating but being able to react to something different? How do you exactly define that? And I just, you know, I would like to get into this a little bit for people, again, who aren't uh, just familiar with these terms or, or want to kind of take their their offensive approach to the next level. So when you, like, you know, early in the count or you're ahead in the count and you're hunting fastball, does that does that equate to guessing or does that just mean that you're going to anticipate it so that if you get it, you're not surprised by it? Like, how do you actually define uh, to, you know, exactly. everyone to hunt? Exactly. Fastball? It's more or less, you know, I'm sitting fastball and adjusting to off speed, right? So for me, like, middle end fastball, and then if I'm down in the count, then I'm going to still sit fastball you know, kind of any, anywhere in the strike zone, but I still want to be able to, you know, recognize breaking ball early and still be able to hit that. Um, so when you're saying, you know, approach and when you're saying hunt a pitch, like, that's great, but what pitch are you hunting? Because if you just say I'm hunting a fastball, that could be anywhere, you know? You see fastball at your letters, like, oh, I'm hunting fastball, I'm going you know? Um, but I think if, if you kind of hone in on your zone and what, you know, and every kid, you know, has a pitch that they love. And then hone in on that when you're when you when you're, you're oh oh two oh three one. Hone in on that pitch. And if you don't get it, that's fine. Move on. You know, and, and work the count. Um, I think that's hopefully that answers your question. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That stuff. And do you do you have conversations with guys sometimes as well when they get a good result without the good approach? You know, because I've, I've just found in the past uh, from talking, having that conversation with guys that they have a hard time looking past the result. But but do you even do you get into that with your guys as well? Like, hey, I know you got a hit there, but, you know, you either you swung at a breaking ball in the dirt and, and kind of got lucky and hit it off the barrel and, 
and, and hit it in a spot where they weren't. Um, you, you do, but, but that's not going to work for you long term. Do you have those conversations with guys, or do you kind of um, uh, wait for a situation, I guess, when, they, when they're failing before you kind of have a conversation like, hey, we need to tighten this up? Uh, I, always, I always ask them what they're seeing and what they're feeling. And, um, just like you said, like, yeah, they may be successful on a, a breaking ball um, that they're out in front on, but how can we be more successful on that? I think, and I'm always open for them to communicate that with me because I want I want to know what they're thinking, and then I want to you know you know almost give them some things to think about themselves. Like, okay, I can if I recognize the breaking ball a little bit earlier, I can sit back and go the opposite way, um, or you know, vice versa. If it's a breaking ball in, I can still sit back, keep my hands in. And, and turn on it. Um, so obviously, I always want them to, to speak and communicate with me whenever, um, whether they're successful and or failing. I want them to be, you know, talking to me about what they're seeing in that back. Because most of the time, if you're in a conference long enough, there's, there's going to be a scouting report on you. Um, so it's going to be a matter of how are you, are you going to adjust when they find out maybe you can't hit, hit a you know breaking ball in. How are you going to adjust to that? You know, is that something we're going to work more on the cage? Um, but I want the guys to be able to have that open line of communication with me as well um, so we can attack um, what they need to, to be successful. And a lot of times having that having a conversation with guys and help, just making them verbalize things can sometimes just help to um, for them to define an approach that works for them and, and, and by talking through it maybe realize that either this is working or this isn't working or whatever it may be. But I think it, it's uh, by, by uh, forcing guys to verbalize it, you end up getting, getting a little bit more um, depth from them as well that maybe they hadn't thought of that deeply before to, to realize what's going to be successful with them and what's not. Uh, you also, I mean, you also allow them to think more, right? When you ask them questions, then they are thinking um, and almost coming back at you with something maybe you're not even you think about, you know. Um, so it's, I think it's always good to have that open line. I mean, there's one of my players right now is up in New York playing, and he's, he's communicating with me about each at bat. Um, and, yeah, he might not be successful on every at bat, but he's telling me, oh, it was a breaking ball, I missed the breaking ball. Or um, it was 0-2 and I battled and, and then I, I, I swung at a breaking ball I shouldn't have or I just missed a breaking ball or something like that. But they're always communicating with me on what they're seeing and what they're trying to work on. That's awesome. This is Bob McLaughlin, everybody. He's the head coach at Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina, Division II school down there. Coach, this has been great, really enjoyable. We got into a lot of stuff that uh, I think will be very useful to people, and I uh, just appreciate your time very much on the podcast today. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for having me. I, uh, I love talking baseball, so anytime you want to get on, just let me know. Sounds great. Thanks again, Coach, and good luck to you. Thank you.